We want to call our attention to some of the events that are occurring at the birth of Christ. And they've given me, of course, the name Emmanuel. And uh, we want to think about that for just a little bit. So if you will, please, if you want to look at your Bibles, and I trust you do, you can turn to Matthew chapter 1. And we'll notice um, this beginning with verse 22 and verse 23. Emphasis will be in verse 23. Verse 22, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Verse 23, the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. I don't know whether that uh, you ever give much thought to that, God with us. And, of course, as we look at this, you must understand some of the... I get... Sometimes I get all caught up in details. I hope they're not boring to you. But if you notice, it says God with us. That's plural. That's a plural one. And so it's with God with us. Of course, he's speaking this to the nation of Israel, but you must remember that God also said concerning this Messiah that it was not just for Israel, it was for the whole world. So these things are, are told to us. A virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and his name shall be called God with us, Emmanuel. And that's his name. And uh, we're very thankful for this. Let me ask you this. Uh, when, when we read this and we say, well, it was a prophet's word, uh, was this a surprise to the people at that time? Let me take you back to Isaiah chapter 7, if you will, please, for just a moment. Isaiah chapter 7. And here, of course, we, we hear the words of the prophet. If you'll notice in chapter 7, verse 13, I want to make a point there as well. Then he said, this is Isaiah chapter 7, verse 13. Then he said, listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well, Isaiah says? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. She called him that name. That was the name that the Lord gave her to call this newborn child. And, and it's, it's just interesting to see how the Lord works in all of this. And let, let me call something else to your attention. Ahaz, the king of Israel at this time, was not a godly man. The Lord asked him, said, uh, would you like to give a sign? And he said, don't give me a sign. I don't want a sign from God. Is God going to give a sign to somebody that doesn't want one? No. So if you'll notice the details, then he said, this is the prophet, listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you? That you is a plural you. That may not mean anything to you, but it, it, it very, it's very pivotal. You is plural. He's not speaking to Ahaz. He's speaking to the, the house of David. And that's what he's talking about here, the house of David. I'll give David a sign, the house of David. And that sign is they're going to have one born of a virgin, and his name is Emmanuel, God with us. You got the name up here. If you were looking at this, as, as you understand it, it's Emmanuel, Emmanuel. Because that last two letters, L, is God. That's the name for God. God with us. That's the meaning of the name. And that's all that's going on here. 
You will also notice, and you don't have to turn there unless you want to, in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 8, you will find that God is going to judge the people of Emmanuel because of their disobedience. But they're still God's people. And God is taking care of them. So again, the, the fulfillment of this prophecy from Isaiah is given to us in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. The birth of Jesus Christ is when God... And this may not mean to you. To me, it just it bowled me over. At the birth of Jesus Christ, God became a man. You know why he became a man? Because God can't die. And that man that was born of the virgin was a man that came to die for your sins and for mine. God can't die. So God became a man so that he could shed his precious blood so that through faith in him we could have life eternal. That's a marvelous thing. I mentioned this to the Sunday school class this morning. Uh, you ever think about heaven? Perfect. Everything. There's no sin. There's no errors. There's no mistakes. There's nothing but perfection in heaven. You ever stop and think what that'll be like? I don't think about it too long because I can't even imagine such a thing. But it's going to be that way. And Christ has ascended back into heaven preparing a place for all of those who believe in Him. And that's a marvelous thing here. And so with this I say, because we have Emmanuel, God with us, I say to the Lord Jesus, because He has ascended back into heaven, having finished His work of redemption, as it says in Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, Even so come, Lord Jesus. And may he come. And if you look at the signs that he gives in his word. He gives signs. He doesn't tell you when. But he gives signs. You better get ready. The Lord's coming. And even so come, Lord Jesus. If you would, stand with me and let's sing joy to the world. Because the Lord has come. Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, because He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. You know, from the Old Testament all the way through Revelation, different names are, are given to this babe in the manger, that the one we are celebrating today. And we've already seen how He would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And all of these names gives us an idea of just who God is. 
his character, the character of that one in the manger. But the simplest name given, and, and really one of my favorites, is the name God told Mary and Joseph to give to him. If you remember in Luke's gospel, before the birth of this one we celebrate, the angel Gabriel told Mary in uh, Luke 1.31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call, uh, shall name him Jesus. Matthew lets us know what was going on with Joseph. Because you see, Joseph learns Mary is with child before they had come together as man and wife. And he was going to send her away. He, he loved her. He didn't want to disgrace her, so he was going to send her away. But an angel came to him in a dream and told Joseph, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because this child was conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. And in Matthew 1.21, the angel says to Joseph, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. See, the name Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. And Jesus himself said in John 3.17, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And he went on to say in John 14, 3, he says, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Yeah, see, this babe in the manger is king. He is Lord. He is almighty God. But the name Jesus lets me know that he is my salvation. And because Jesus came down to us, Emmanuel, and paid that price for my sin, the name Jesus is placed higher than any other name. Philippians 2, 8 through 10 says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name.
you catch the theme so far? <laughs> well, I get to read from a very familiar passage, but I'm going to make a connection uh, to a couple other ones. As you know, Luke chapter 2 uh, is his uh, version of the Advent. Matthew has the same kind of thing. The other two gospel writers do it a different way. But uh, Luke says in verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, just like Doak said, for us, for all people. Put your name there, okay? That's for you. For all people, today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, or the Messiah, the Lord. Three names, three purposes for Christ coming. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So we have the connection here to shepherds, which is really a very old theme in the Bible. Think about it. Adam wasn't known as a shepherd, but he had to name the sheep, right? He had to give names to all of God's creation. So he could be the first shepherd. But his second son, Abel, was a shepherd. We have uh, the word of God saying that he brought an offering from his flocks. He was a shepherd. So we go all the way back. Even if we eliminate Adam, we go to Abel. Skip a couple thousand years to Abraham. What was he? He was a shepherd too. As were his sons, Isaac and Jacob and Jacob's sons. And we know how God worked in the lives of these patriarchs. So again, the connection is there to here. We also know that Moses herded sheep on the far side of the desert. David was a shepherd before he became king. Now we have a picture here of a king who became a shepherd. So we got all that crossing over and God's working all of it out in his time and his way. There's many references to God as a shepherd. Psalm 23, the beloved 23rd Psalm, 
is all about the Lord is my shepherd, my shepherd. Psalm 78 and 80 refer to God in that way, although the prophets refer to him that way. And Jesus himself referred to himself as the good shepherd. So all of this works together to remind us why God appeared to shepherds. They're connected. It was a noble task, a noble job all these years. At the time when Jesus was born, however, shepherds weren't thought of as in very good terms. They weren't even allowed to testify in court. They didn't accept their testimony. But here we have these guys, they were, there were shepherds living in the fields, and what were they doing? Keeping watch over their flocks. That's what shepherds do. And that's what uh, we're reminded of here as we leap ahead now. Jesus is 33 years old. John the Baptist is talking to his disciples and he sees Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. What does that Lamb do but take away the sins of the world? Just as we've talked about, all his names refer to that. Jesus is the Savior saving his people from their sins. There's the connection. Now the Lamb of God, this is in John 1. We leap ahead a few more years. John is writing to these churches who are being persecuted. And what does he talk about? 28 times he talks about a lamb. A lamb opens these seals. The lamb is the one who becomes a shepherd in, in chapter 7. Again, this connection is there. It's all God's doing. It's all there for us as we read through Scripture. We have God reminding us that he's the good shepherd. He sent his son as a good shepherd, and his son is a sheep, and his son is a lamb, a sacrificial lamb. He died for you. He died for me to pay for our sins, as his name implies. The lamb of God was cared for basically by these guys. I mean, they didn't... They didn't bring anything, did they? Like the wise men. They brought themselves. They were faithful to hear. They heard. There wasn't even a command to go. Right? There was an implied command. It says, you will find. And what did they do? They went and they found. So they searched. They did what the angel implied in the message. You will find. We will find. We have found. And we continue to have him with us as Emmanuel, as Jesus, as the Lamb of God.
that's a beautiful song. Boy, wow. Oh, Holy Night and Silent Night are probably the two top ten. Uh, on the, in the top ten is Christmas carols that are so greatly loved. And, you know, it's interesting. Every one of the Christmas carols has something in them that's praising God. That's, that's what comes out of the birth of Christ. This is an opportunity to praise God. And we're doing that this morning. When we sing, when we look at the Word of God. In fact, uh, our purpose for being here this morning is, and, and this is going to sound very, very basic, but it's so true. We're here for Him, aren't we? Amen. We're here to worship the Lord. When we come to church, uh, we want to see friends, we want to have fellowship, but we're here to worship our God and our Savior. Psalm 34, the psalmist said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And uh, we magnify the Lord when we praise him, when we acknowledge who he is and all that he has done for us. And, of course, we're acknowledging this morning that he loved us so much that he sent his son to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless life, and then to die on the cross for our sins. Thinking about the account in Scripture on the coming of the Magi to see the Christ who was promised. Uh, Matthew 2.11 says this, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child where, with Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. The Magi had one goal in mind when they made that long journey over to Jerusalem, and then, of course, to Bethlehem, and that was to worship the Lord. That's why we're here this morning. We're here to worship Him. We're here to honor Him. We're here to magnify Him. He's an awesome and wonderful God and Savior, and that we do this together. When you look at the account in Matthew chapter 2, there's really two sections to that, that account that's given in Matthew chapter 2. First of all, you see the journey of the wise men. A lot of people talk about the journey and how they came from afar. They came from a distance. But then you see the joy of the wise men. In fact, it says in 2.10, And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding joy. Now, why when they saw the star did they rejoice with exceeding joy? Because they were going to see the promised Messiah. They were going to see God incarnate. And they were very, very excited about this. In fact, the statement of intent for the wise men was when he, they were talking to Herod. And they said, We have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. That's their intent. Now, what about the wise men? Well, um, the wise men were individuals who were advisors uh, to rulers and uh, specifically advisors to the Babylonian leaders and the Persian leaders. Uh, they were referred to as wise men. Uh, they studied the stars. They had heard of the prophecy of the promised Messiah to come and his birth would be signaled by a, bright, a brightness or a star. They came from the east and that's probably from the land of Babylon which is modern Iraq today. They really weren't kings as such. We sing that song, and it's a good Christmas carol, We Three Kings of Orient and Ar, but uh, they probably weren't kings. 
They were advisors to kings, however, and uh, they were seeking the king of kings, as we shall mention in a minute. Uh, the wise men were probably, and in fact, according to scripture, they were the first Gentiles, non-Jews, to seek the newborn Jewish Messiah. Well, how did they find out as Gentiles about the Jewish Messiah? Well, you remember the Jews were sent off into captivity in the land of Babylon. And over in the land of Babylon is probably where they heard that this promised Messiah would come and he would be a savior from sin. He would be a lamb, as we have been told, who would sacrifice his life to pay for our sins. They understood that and they came to worship him. In fact, uh, I, I love looking at the prophecies in the Word of God in the Old Testament. Hundreds of prophecies regarding Jesus Christ. There's one regarding the wise men. And it's found in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 10 where it says, In that day there will be a root of Jesse and the Gentiles shall seek him. Now that's one little phrase in scripture. Way in the Old Testament. <coughs> 700 years before the birth of Christ. But what did it prophesy? Prophesied Gentiles coming, the wise men coming to see Christ. You know, they, um, they are commended often as you hear about them for their seeking the Lord. They didn't know exactly where he would be. Uh, they knew that he was going to be born in the land of Israel, in the country of Israel, uh, among the Israelite people. And uh, yet they sought him out. And, of course, we read God's words to his people in Jeremiah 29:13. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your hearts. I trust that every one of us who are here this morning has come to the place where you have a relationship with the Lord. That God has so worked in your life that you now have a personal relationship with God. And when you come to worship on Sundays, you come to honor him. Um, you, you have um, been to the place where, well, I talked to someone, let's, let's drop back just a little bit. talked to someone not too long ago and they said, I asked him if they, they knew the Lord in a personal way. And this individual said, well, I'm seeking. That's okay to seek. But at the end of the search is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. As was pointed out, he's the Lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. The Lord said, you will seek me and find me if you search for me with all your heart. So this morning, if you know Christ as your Savior, there was a time when you realized a need in your life, you heard about Christ, and you found him to be your Savior. If you seek me, you will find me, and uh, if you search with, for me with all your heart. What about that star? A lot of people... You probably have a star on the top of your Christmas tree. I'd rather see a star up there than an angel. I really would. That's my preference. If you've got an angel, don't feel bad or offended. Okay. The Don's got an angel. <laughs> Let's pray for him right now. <laughs> the star was probably... The uh, glory of God, the Shekinah glory. Remember in the Old Testament when God led the children of Israel through the wilderness? He led them by the uh, pillar of cloud by day, 
pillar of fire by night. And that was a manifestation of the glory of God. And it was probably, no doubt, the glory of God uh, that led the... Uh, first of all, signified to the wise men when they were over in the area of Babylon that the Christ was born. However, when they got over into Jerusalem, they went to the capital of the people of Israel at that time. And uh, they inquired, where is he who is to be born king of the Jews? That question was asked of Herod. And Herod, when he heard that word king, um, he didn't want another king coming up in his dominion. And uh, so he sends for the Jewish leaders. And they say, well, it's prophesied in Micah in the Old Testament. He was to be born in Bethlehem. And when the wise men heard where Christ was to be born... The glory of God or the star, it says, it reappears. And it led them from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And then again we read in the account, And when they had come into the house, so this was many months after the birth of Christ, could have been up to two years after the birth of Christ, and when they went into the house, they saw the young child and Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. You only worship God. Now, you hear people worshiping others, and they worship uh, stars, Hollywood stars. And, but you only really ultimately want to worship God. Charles Wesley knew this. And he, when he wrote, Hark to Herald Angels Sing, he wrote it this way. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus are Emmanuel. There it is again. He's Emmanuel. So when the wise men went in, try to picture this in your mind. They saw the young child with Mary. And yet they knew that it was God the Son. And they bowed down and they worshipped him. And we this morning are among those who recognize that Jesus Christ is God the Son. God incarnate, as we heard a little bit earlier. And we do worship him. They bowed down, they fell down, and they worshiped him. I, I found another definition of worship this week, and I like it. It's uh, given by uh, a man by the name of Robert Weber, who wrote a whole book on the subject of worshiping God. And the definition is so basic, but so meaningful. It says... And he said, worship is a meeting between God and his people. In other words, our coming here today, we've met with God. We've, we've sang songs about him. We've prayed to him. We've honored him in the entire service because he's worthy. Worship is a meeting between God and his people. And you know... Uh, Sometimes when we're on vacation and we're away, uh, we visit other places of worship. And I always ask myself, as the service starts and the service goes on, can I really think about God here? Uh, is what's happening here encouraging me to think about God and to draw near to Him? That's what worship is all about. We hear the Word of God. We hear the songs sung. And they are designed to cause us to bring honor and glory to our Lord. 
Worship is meaning is a meeting between God and his people. And the worshiper is brought into personal contact with God. Wow. God's here with us this morning. He's right here with us. I know you know the verse. I'll start it, you finish it. Jesus said, Where two or three are gathered in my name, thank you, Lord, that you're right here with us right now. This is awesome. We're here for you. We thank the Lord that he is here with us. And when we worship, there's kind of two aspects of thought when we're worshiping God. The first one is the fact that we think about his greatness, his awesomeness. The second aspect of our worship is the fact that, again, he's here with us, his nearness. The greatness of God is seen in that hymn uh, by Charles Wesley, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He's an awesome God. But when it comes to his nearness, we used to sing a chorus years ago and it went like this. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. And he's just the same as his lovely name. We love him because he's near and he's close to us. He's an awesome and great God, but he's a God who draws near to us. In fact, you know the verse very well. Second time you'll repeat one. I'll start it out. You repeat the second part. Draw near to God and... Thank you, Lord. When we draw near to you, you draw near to us. Well, involved in worship, of course, is giving. And uh, we have an opportunity in our services to bring an offering, to give to the Lord, to support our ministries, to support others who go out into um, our world and give out the gospel of Jesus Christ. The wise men brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gold, of course, is the most precious of metals. It's a symbol of nobility and royalty. It's a symbol of someone who has great power and authority sometimes. Matthew presents Jesus Christ as the king. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. Frankincense is a pleasing, uh, a pleasant-smelling uh, incense which was used in offerings in the Old Testament economy, offerings that were offered up to God. Myrrh, of course, is a, also a sweet perfume, and it was mixed with spices and was used for burial. And so, therefore, these gifts were a very significant relationship to Jesus Christ as the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, who is God the Son, the incense being offered to God, the sweet-smelling savor that would go up, and then thirdly, the perfume which was mixed and made ready for a burial. And Jesus Christ, of course, was going to die for us. So the wise men had a specific intent making that long journey. They came in order to worship the promised Messiah of the Old Testament scriptures. It's amazing, probably, when you, when you stop to think about it. They didn't have a copy of the Bible the way we do, but they heard through God's people, the nation of Israel, those who knew God way over in Babylon. They knew and they heard that God would send his Messiah to give his life for our sins. When they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary's mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. They were prepared for worship, they were delighted in worship, and they gave in worship. They gave gifts, gold, frankincense, 
and myrrh. Some of you have heard this before. It's the uh, words of uh, Christina Rossetti who asked the question, What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I'd give him a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. What can I give him? I know what I can give him. I can give him my heart. Let's bow in prayer together. Lord, we thank you this morning that we can focus our attention on your first coming. And we know you came in order to give your life for us. We thank you for the example of the wise men who stated the intent of their long journey. They went to find the Messiah of Israel, the promised one who would lay down his life, pay the price for sin. Thank you, Lord, for these accounts in Scripture. We thank you, Lord, as we heard in song as well. The main purpose of his coming was to go to the cross. So, Lord, as we conclude our time together, we think of the cradle and we think of the cross. And, Lord, it's possible that there would be someone here this morning who's not yet been to the cross. They've never experienced the life, the forgiveness, the eternal life that Jesus Christ gives. And so, Lord, would you work in hearts and lives as we continue before you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we're just quiet before the Lord. And it's possible, again, that you don't really have a relationship with the Lord, that you're here this morning celebrating Christmas, coming to church, but you've never really reached out and connected with the Lord. You've never experienced salvation from sin. The cradle, he took upon himself flesh and blood, as has been stated already, in order that he might die for our sins well he did die and he was buried and he rose again and we have a tremendous freedom this morning from sin's power in our lives when we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior so I guess the question is this have you been to the cross are you in the place in your life where you realize God loves you very much and sent Jesus to die for you and have you connected with God personally? You connecting with God in salvation, in receiving forgiveness of your sin. If you have not, can I encourage you to do that this morning? I'm going to do a 30-second pause of quietness. And in that 30-second pause of quietness, I'm going to ask you, if you're not sure you're saved, maybe you've heard this message for years, but if you're not sure that your sins were taken care of by Jesus and you're ready for heaven. You do need to reach out to him and you should do it today because there's the three C's in relationship to Christ. The cradle, the cross, and the crown. And he is coming again and it could be today. So in a few moments of quietness, you've got to be sure. You can't keep putting it off. 
if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, in the next few moments of quietness, you say, Lord Jesus, I do believe you came to Bethlehem, lived a sinless life, and went to the cross. And there you, as God the Son, paid for my sin. Would you pray that? Would you talk to the Lord? He will hear you. And he will work in your life. You, mean, you need to do it in order to be sure of eternal life. Lord Jesus, I believe you came to the cradle. You took upon yourself flesh and blood in order to go to the cross for me. Lord, thank you for the beauty of the Savior. We sang about his beauty. How awesome he is. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Father of eternity and Prince of Peace. Thank you, Lord. He came for us. And Lord, if there is someone who has asked Christ to be their Savior today, would you help them to grow spiritually? Would you help them to realize they've made the most important decision in life? and encourage anyone who's trusted you to let someone else know in their family circle, friends, relationships that today they trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. So Lord, we thank you for your coming for us. And we look forward to your coming again. But today, right now, we continue to celebrate your coming. And what an awesome night that was. When you were born, the angels of heaven rejoiced. There was the praising of God. Later, the wise men came, and they bowed down in worship. And we know, Lord, when we come together, when we come to this place, we come to connect with you. Worship is a meeting with God. And this morning, we have met with you, and we thank you. And may the singing of this great Christmas carol, Silent Night, remind us there was a holy night set apart because the Son of God came here for us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. If you're able, if you would stand with me, let's sing that old hymn, Silent Night. Mm -hmm.